The message you're about to hear is from the stable of the Capstone Church Without Walls. Tonight, I bring a word of the Lord to you as I share with you on what I call evangelism and social change. And um, something that I think also further reinforced this in my heart was a story that broke in the course of the week about um, one of this, one of that amazing guy. When I first listened to this guy, to this guy, this worship leader, this gospel artist, he, I mean, I was, I, was, I was both shocked and excited that something of that quality can come, can come out of Nigeria. Praise the name of Jesus. And I'm talking about nothing but only else but the, the other than um, the guy that sang this song, um, um, Often As I Breathe. That's Chris Morgan. Often as I breathe, often as I live, let my whole life be at fresh out of your grave. When I heard that song, and I heard it sung, the first time I heard it was in church, praise and worship, they always know how to get other songs. So I listened, I said, ah, this, I went to Google it. I said, this song, uh, let me Google it. And I was very shocked to say that it was a Nigerian artist that sang. I said, ah, ah, this part. Now, that guy got robbed a couple of days back on, on Abuja with his, team, with, with his band, his team band, with his, uh, with his band of musicians, and the armed robbers stabbed him. They stabbed him in the back towards the spine. And um, as he was written in pain, one of the armed robbers brought out a long dagger and took his throat and was going to slice his throat and split, him, split his throat. Then something occurred to him that if you don't jump for your life right now, this guy is going to kill you. So he jumped in, his, in a pool of his own blood in the midst of nowhere and was running for their life. And they pursued him. One of his boys, they pursued him. They pursued, they said they pursued that one for 30, for about 30 minutes in the bush. And then they stopped for whatever it, whatever it is. Now, when you see that kind of danger, so what you will have been writing right now, now thank God is recuperating in the hospital in Abuja, what you have been hearing right now was that the singer of often as I breathe was cleaning his throat by armed robbers. Which basically means crime and criminality is a clear and present danger in the world in which we live. Now, if that is the reality in our society, then what hope do we have in a world of crime? Now, another report I read, which also scared me and shook me to my roots, I must tell you this, was a report by the Nigerian police force. And when they caught some criminals, they said, as a matter of fact, we have found out in our research that six out of eight boys in Lagos are cultists. Now, what cultists do is to shed human blood, to, to have gang clashes. Young boys going across and shooting themselves one another to death. It happens. The only reason you have not experienced it is because God's promise to you is all this way that if a thousand fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand side, but it will not come near you. That's the reason why you have not been hearing it. Because God has been protected by his angels. So clearly, in the world in which we live in, whether it's in Lagos here, or it's in Abuja, or it's in different parts of the country which you know, uh, a young man was telling me also about his testimony. He came to meet me after the service on Sunday. He said, I haven't seen church in a, in a long time. I said, yes. He said, as one of our pastors, I want to thank the Lord for me. I was traveling and I got into Ore. And then armed robbers began to shoot at our car. They redoed the vehicle with bullets. How I came out alive is still a miracle. Please thank God for me. Now, these are, so whether it's in Edo or whether it's in Abuja, whether it's in Lagos, or whether it's in Ikorodu, we are living in the midst of grave danger. And the crime 
is on the increase. One of the reasons why crime is on the increase is because Satan knows he has but a limited time. I pray that the Lord will protect and shield you from danger in the name of Jesus. So it's important for us to know that things are happening in our society. That's why I want to talk about social change and the place of evangelism, social change. And uh, to, 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 to do justice to this, to this and to give us answer to this, I would want to look at the book of Matthew and uh, based on something that Jesus uh, taught us. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. One of the things you, you, I probably would let you know is that, you know, that the gospel of Christ Jesus is the light that is needed to dispel crime and vices. So that which the police force, Nigerian police force, says they have no answer to, and you know that all over the country there's a lot of increase if, of insecurity. If this government, the present government, loses the next election, it's going to be as a result of their inability to answer the insecurity that is in the country. People get killed all over the country, and the government doesn't seem to have an answer. Of course, they cannot. They don't have an answer because the police force is so understaffed. I think all over the country, there are just about 500 and something thousand policemen, and uh, more than half of them are guarding the big boys. Is that correct? Is that correct? So, if two mobile policemen are guarding me, amen, and my friends, me and my friends, how many people are there? We are the people that are guarding me and my friends. Hello, people. All right. How many people, how many of them are left to guard the 180 million people? That's why, and, and police, police, police force is a federal thing. So there are no state polices. So that's why there's an increase of crime and they are not stemming the tide. So we're living in the midst of a clear and present danger. But we give God praise because God who has, who has protected you will continue to protect you. But you see, being protected and doing nothing about it is like the ostrich who sees danger and buries his head in the sand and leaves his butt outside. You know, the big butt ostrich. That's one of the biggest bird. It is the fastest reptile, uh, fastest bird on food. Is that correct? Right. So it has a very big back, very big body, a very long neck, and very small head. Now, the ostrich says to himself, there is a lot of danger around me, but I'm going to protect myself. This is what I will do. Digs the ground, puts his tiny head in the sand, his long neck is out in the open, his very big back is all over the place. How many people know he's very protected? It's all this required for me to protect myself is to my, make sure that my head is safe. <laughs> all right. Okay. So we mustn't be like the ostrich who is living in a false environment of protection. Now, Jesus brings our dimension, a perspective to this in the book of Matthew chapter 4. I want us to look in that. In the, amen. Hallelujah. When the Holy Spirit began to share this things with me, it really, really blessed my heart. And um, I just feel that it's something God will have me share with you. Praise the name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. Let me read from verse, four, verse 12. The book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to verse 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, and this is talking about John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. That means that Jesus was, not, was somewhere else. He was, I'm sure he was in Jerusalem where he died and resurrected. But this was before, much before his death. He left Jerusalem and went into Galilee. Now, why is Galilee instructive? The scripture says in, the, in verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a chief, one of the chief cities of a region called Galilee, like a province called Galilee, okay? And this province, there's something about this province which I want to bring up. 
scripture says, so leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, Judah or Judea is in a part that is that is seen. Jerusalem of Judea was in a part that is overseen or that is the territory of the tribe of Judah. Apart from the tribe of Judah, two other tribes, the Bible is talking about here, the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. And they are prophecy and promise by the Lord is that they will live by the sea. Alright. Because they lived by the sea, one of the things that was characterized them, them was that there were a lot of traffic, a lot of merchandise, a lot of maritime business. People travel, people ships, ports, all manner of things came and better there. The implication of that was there were all sort of people who lived there because it became a place of strong, strong commerce. I want you to follow me because I want to lay this principle. So scripture says that uh, Jesus went to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And what was the prophecy? Verse 15, please. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, it's important for me to Maybe probably just say a little bit thing about Galilee of Gentiles. When Bible talks about the Galilee of Gentiles, it's talking about the Galilee of the pagan nations. Because the Gentiles were the pagans. When you talk about Gentiles, Gentiles were non-Jews. Gentiles were people who did not believe in the value system of the Jews. They did not worship the God of the Jews. They did not believe in the Mosaic laws and the economy bordered. So there were always two, two nations, the Jewish nation and every other nation called the Gentile nations. Now, the Bible says that even though it was a land of Israel, but there was a part of the place called Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, it says, now that continued. This was speaking about the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Now, listen to this. Scripture is very profound by using words like darkness, People living in darkness. Now, he now explaining what it means to live in darkness. It, it says, people living in the land of the shadow of death. So, which basically means, darkness means death. Darkness, in this context, means that which leads situations, circumstances, scenarios, atmospheres that engenders death. Which basically means these areas are real toxic environment. And this was the prophecy of Isaiah way about six, seven hundred years before Jesus physically manifested. So one of the reasons we saw here why Jesus moved to Galilee was to fulfill the prophecy that, listen to this, that a light will come into the people. Bible says to them, a light has done. Look at verse 17. I won't just it says, From that time, from that time. Jesus began to preach, which basically means from that moment, Jesus began his preaching ministry. We can conclude that Jesus did not begin his preaching ministry in Jerusalem. He began his preaching ministry in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Is that correct? Is that correct? Because the Bible says he began to preach. And what did he preach? Repent, just change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. Why the question we're asking is why will Jesus made this area the first place of his ministry preaching, the first message he ever preached? 
Why did Jesus preach his first message in a place called the Galilee of the Gentile nations? Why did he, why did didn't Jesus preach his first sermon to Jews? I thought he came to die for Jews. I thought he says for the Jews I came to die. Why will he leave the whole of Jerusalem and go and hold his first crusade? Let me use the word crusade. And his first preaching platform among pagans. Scripture says, as Jesus was, was walking, because he even got interest, more interesting. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, don't forget the Galilee of Gentiles. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, which basically means most likely, and I can tell you, yes, it is most likely, and I think it is, that Peter and his brother were from Galilee. Why do I know? When, G, when Peter was going to deny Jesus, you remember that story, he denied Jesus three times. And when people heard him speak, they said to him, you sound like one of the Galileans, which basically means the tongue that they, they, they speak in Galilee of the Gentiles is different. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm sure you know language. You know, you know, you know about how languages work. When you speak to me, I can tell you whether you are Yoruba or not. In fact, I can tell you whether you are Yoruba and where you are from Yoruba language. Basically, it means that people can pick who you are and where you come from by your tongue. So Peter and the rest of them were picked, their tongue were picked because they sounded Galilean, the Galilean of the Gentiles. Now listen to this. So Jesus would choose his four disciples from this place. Simon called Peter and his brother. They were casting the net into the lake for they were fishermen. And then look at the rest of the story. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Why would Jesus desire to make people from Galilee of the Gentiles his first group of disciples? I guess... Now, the Bible tells me that, but I guess it must be that Jesus knows that for you to be able to catch the fish, you have to know how to talk like the fish. For you to catch the Gentiles, for you to get the nations, you have to understand the mentality and the thinking process of the nations. Which was why it was always a lot harder for people to get to minister. And I'm teaching tonight about evangelism and social change. I want you to please hold on a little bit. It's easy, it's hard for people to be able to do the work of evangelism and winning souls among people they have not bothered to study their culture. Praise the name of Jesus. So the scripture says, Jesus said to them, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishes of men. Now, Peter was a Jew. Praise the Lord. He wasn't a Gentile. But he lived in a place called Galilee of the Gentiles. Praise the name of Jesus. And from the story that we read about, about Peter, he must have not the one to have anything to do with Gentiles at all. Because he was Jew, he wouldn't eat anything that, had not, that, that God had not endorsed that was anti-Jew. Even though Gentiles who lived next door would do that. So all the life of, of, of Peter, he couldn't reach the Gentiles, even though he lived among Gentiles. Jesus will have to come, cross over into Gentile nation to teach Peter and his brothers how to fish for Gentile nations. Somebody understand what I'm talking about? Am I, is it complicated? I want you to please follow me. So the Bible said at once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them too. Next verse, verse 22. And immediately they also left their boat and, they, and their father and followed him. They left. You know, when Jesus calls you, this is not about what I'm saying, but when Jesus calls you, when you hear the voice of the Lord to get saved, you have to be willing to sacrifice everything to follow him. You see, there's no such thing as I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus and my family comes first. My appetite comes first. 
My way of life before now comes first. When I come into Christ, nothing has to change. All I just need to do is just go to church three times a week. Nothing has to change. My music doesn't have to change. My, the place I go doesn't have to change. The people I roll with don't have to change. I mean, what, I mean, once I just go to church and I pay tight and I sing in an offering and I sing song, I'm fine. No, it doesn't work like that. The moment Jesus encounters you, there is a price you have to pay for discipleship. You have no idea how to follow Jesus until you are willing to sacrifice what had been big in your life to follow the master. So these people will leave their trade. They will leave their father. They will leave their comfort zone. And they will follow this stranger who called them. Who is this guy? You can imagine what was in the heart of their father. How they, when they abandoned their father and the old ship and the whole truckload of fish and followed this young 20-something-year-old stranger or 30-year-old stranger. <laughs> now, for those of you who are like 30 years old, you can imagine, you get into a place, you call them, okay, boy, boys, come all of you, leave your father and mother and follow me. How many people will they obey you? You are 30 years old, listen to me right now. <laughs> who are you, Seth? <laughs> But, that, but so you must understand that Jesus spoke with so much authority and power and because he was God's son, he commanded the authority of heaven. And these guys followed him. And they were, this was, all this was happening. All these things were happening in the Galilee of the pagan nations. I'm asking myself, why didn't all this happen in Jerusalem? In the land of the Jews? It's because Christ is trying to teach us something. And I want you to follow it. Next verse, please. Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the goodness of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You see, that's what happens. Whenever the gospel is preached, then we can expect the miraculous. Where the problem is is that the church is expecting the miraculous without preaching the gospel. The gospel, miracles answer only to the gospel. It's like you say that gospel preaching must go first, then miracles will follow. When you read scripture, that's what you see that's what happened. Jesus taught and preached in Galilee, and then miracles followed. The disciples went and preached and, and, and preached and taught, and then miracles followed. Paul went on the missionary journey. He got there at a high risk himself, preached the gospel, and then miracles followed. And so if we are going to walk in the miraculous, and I know we sing a lot about the miraculous, we talk about the miraculous, we anticipate the miraculous, we desire the miraculous. The answer to the miraculous is simple obedience to go win the loss. Hallelujah. When you go win the loss, you don't need to pray for the miraculous. Praise God. It will just happen. Now, scripture says, so Jesus went everywhere, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and then began to heal every disease and sickness among the people. Verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria. That's a Gentile nation. And all people brought to him, and all people brought to him, all who are healed with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, that means that like those who have stroke and all. I mean, you know all manner of sicknesses. The Bible says, and he healed them. Praise the name of Jesus. What did he do to them? So he preached the gospel, people brought sicknesses, and he healed them all. Next verse, verse 25. Large crowds from where? Now, when the nations, when the ethnos, when the pagans see the miraculous, they will follow Jesus. What we need, what the body of Christ needs to confound the world system is the gospel and the miraculous. I was preaching this on Sunday for those of you who are here. The people followed, Paul, the people, the people followed that girl who was a fortune teller. Because there's something in all human beings that want to know the future. Whenever they see what meets their need, they will follow. So in this instance, large crowds follow Jesus 
Bible says from Galilee, from the Capolis. That word Capolis actually is a Greek word which means Deca. Deca means ten. Polis means city. That's where we got the word metropolis from. City. So that means that from ten cities. I don't know how people went from ten cities, Deca, Polis. They come together. They began to flock around Jesus. Jerusalem. It may spoke about Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions followed around Jordan followed him. But let's leave that aside. One thing is clear. Jesus exhibited such awesome manifestation of the power and the glory of God first among the pagans. If we are going to do the same, we have to be willing to go among the pagans. That's what we call, what we call today, soul winning or evangelism. Basically what it means, you got to go. I've said it several times, I'm going to say it again. Jesus did not ask the church to stay. He's asked the church to do what? To go. And I said the word go, for those of you who, are, who have been following me, my, 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 my line of teaching, so the word go means traverse, travel. I mean, leave point A to point B. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Even if it means you have to travel social media. Amen. You've got to travel. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. You've got to travel. Somebody say travel. That's the meaning of go. So Jesus said go. And we have to go. If we go, and if we go well, if we go aggressively, and if we go consistently, then we will attract the miraculous into our lives, into our ministry, and this is very good. Now, what, why did I talk about, why did I say I want to talk about, about um, evangelism and social change? And I think I need to, I need to, I need to talk about that because it, it's very, very important. Now, in that match, flip that, if you flip back to that match, chapter 4, verse 16, it says the people living in darkness. And he spoke about the land of Zebulon and afterlife, the way to the sea. Uh, we, are, we already read that. And uh, now, what this means is, when you talk about people living in darkness, it means it's an expression denoting great ignorance. Now listen to this. And ignorance is often connected with crime and vices. So darkness is sometimes used to denote sin. When the Bible talks, when the Bible talks about darkness, it's not just about Nepal lights being taken off or your generation not working. <laughs> it's actually endemic sign of decay, corruption, crime, and all manner of vices. Now, the government, one of the things the government has on the battling on its hand right now are all manner of vices coming up. A couple of days again, I read the, the Minister of, of Health instructed that the smoking of shisha. Now, for those of you, I mean, you don't know what shisha means, an alcohol that is flavored. It's a flavored alcohol. You see them drinking. I mean, if you go to everywhere, it's, 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 it's a fad right now. I mean, it, it, you wanna, if you want to be sure that you're a big boy, you have to do shisha. Is that correct? With your friends. Yeah. And they realize that the extent of can lung cancer, extent of high blood pressure, extent of um, heart-related problems, is increasing among young people in the country simply because there is a new vice of shisha another problem major mission of health they don't know how to deal with codeine all over the north all over the south young people go to the go to the pharmaceutical store <coughs> what's wrong with you i have cough uh, what do you want i want codeine <laughs> codeine is no longer when i was growing up codeine was cough syrup you have cough, they, they, they take, take two spoons. Ah, ah, it's bitter. No, they don't do like now. If you see young men carry a bottle of Pepsi, check well. What you are seeing is not Pepsi. Inside that thing is Coke. 
coke. The other day they just sees a truckload of Travador. Malo all around the place sell next door across the streets to, to, to seven year olds, eight year olds, nine year olds. So you have a country where there is so many vices that young people are in. So people get high. So a young man, you're talking to a young man and you say, you are very, the boy is very respectful. He's a very quiet boy. He's high. <laughs> young men, this they don't respect. They talk. If you say, young man, auntie, yes, auntie, yes, auntie. He's not respectful. He's what? High on tramadol or codeine. <laughs> and it has become a real epidemic. The government doesn't know what to do about it. But hear, hear the word of the law. The gospel has the power to break vices. What I'm trying to say is the gospel has the power to break crime. <laughs> only, the gospel, only the gospel can do that. Jesus hung on the cross right beside a young man that the government of the day didn't know what to do about him. He killed everybody he could kill. They've, they've, took it, they've taken him in prison. He's been in and out of many prisons several years. And instead of getting better, you know they call prisons correctional facilities. But they don't correct nothing. Because even the best of them, when they get into that prison, they meet with the worst of criminals. And then they come out worse. Also, because when they come out of the prison, you also ostracize them. Say, I'm not going to employ you. Why? Why, why are you coming from where? I just finished your jail term. Oh, really? I will get back to you. So you see that crime increases and escalates. Correctional facilities have no solution. And correctional facilities are run by government. Big, big time taxpayers. I don't know which of the states that just decided to build another prison. So government has to build more prisons. Why? Because criminals are on the increase. You understand this? And the level of crime is also getting to be into high profile. I don't want to mention a very high profile case when I've been tried by the IGPs about the offer robbery. I'm sure you some of those of you are We don't know whether it's true, we don't know whether it's wrong. They are tracking it to one of the big boys in National Assembly. I'm not going to mention names. Which basically means that crime is big business. Crime is, and if crime is big business, that means a source of income on people, they are not going to leave it in a hurry. Government is not going to be able to circumvent it. The only thing that can change the heart of the vilest of criminals and break vice in people is the gospel of Jesus. Now that tells you something. Let's ask ourselves a question. If we really want crime to be solved in our societies, if we really want crime to be minimized and totally erased, what do you think we should be conversing for? More government subvention to build more, more prisons? More taxpayers' money being used to do a whole lot more of um, correctional facilities? Or more gospel being preached? I ask you that question. From the experience, from the example I gave to you, that a hardened criminal that the, the government of the day of Jesus couldn't cower was, was re repented and asked, please allow me to be with you in paradise. And Jesus said, because you asked, be saved. 
I mean, we've had cases of people. I mean, look at Paul of, Paul of Tatus. He killed everything, everybody, anything that got to do with the scriptures until when Jesus met him. That's why we pray that prayer. That's why we must always pray. When people are tough and hard to crack, you ask heaven to invade the earth. You ask for divine intervention. The Bible says, Father, prayer was made by the church. And by the reason of the prayer of the church, angels were released upon the earth's sin. And so people like Paul can be coward and, and subdued by the power of the gospel. You see, the power of the gospel is the only answer against criminality. I hope the government of the day understands that. If governments understand that, they are supposed to say to churches, we will give you land, we will give you equipment. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you give us more pastors? We will pay them, put them on government payroll. Instead of putting governors who have left ruling on, 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 on payroll. <laughs> what, the, what if government has enough sense? Government need to understand that the gospel alone, and I have, I have experiences, I'm telling you, I'm a student of the of history of, of economic development of this country, political development of this country, including religious development of this country. Over the years, from the time, from 1930s, the solution to Nigeria's problem had always been preferred and pioneered by the church. What are the days of? It was in the days of Samuel Jai Crowder that the church was the first organization and institution that started educating the aborigines and the local people and began to give by reason of the gospel and the schools that they started people began to understand that there is something called light you see the only answer to darkness is light that's why that scripture spoke about isaiah he said a people who are living in darkness have seen a great light to a people who live in the shadow of death a great light has shone. You see, that great light is Jesus. That's why it, it took Jesus' power and the gospel to go into Galilee and break the power of a righteousness in that place. That's why he went there. And that's why he sent us also to go to the nook and cranny and do that. So evangelism then is not something that we do because we don't have anything doing. Evangelism is something the church, every believer ought to do because you don't want to get shot by arm robbers next, ne ne next, next, next door. Because if you can save more arm robbers, if you can get more prostitutes converted, if you can get more drug addicts converted, if you can get more Yahweh people converted, if you can get more ritualists converted, if we can preach the gospel to people that we know are totally obscene and out of order, and we can get them the gospel through different means, either by preaching to them physically one-on-one, -on -one, or by, even if all you do is invite them to church, invite them to Impact Africa Conference. Just say, one thing clearly is, uh, the gospel is the only light that can dispel darkness. Can somebody say amen? And the person in whose hand the answer to the social problems are is you so let's let's reframe let's reframe the, that statement basically means if there is a new spate of crime in this city it happens because you fail to do what you're supposed to do does someone understand that does someone understand that? now that puts the responsibility for crime busting at your footstep at your doorstep i've seen people i've been opportunity to see people who are Yahweh boys and cry and criminals come into church and by the time we preach the gospel to them and they hear the gospel, then God touches their heart and they say, Well, but there is a problem. I cannot do Yahweh anymore, I cannot do chocolate anymore. So what do I have to do for a living? And they will say, Okay, now let's take you to first of all, let's take you away from that. Then let's begin to teach you and train you about the kingdom of God. Then let's empower you and give you a skill. Now it may take another two, three, four years for that skill to kill, but you will have a valid 
authentic business and you believe in a clean life. I said, okay, that's fine. All right, but in the meantime, while you are still in that job, we put you on benevolence. How <laughs> many understand what I'm talking about? Only the church can do that. So if you want crime, if you want ritual killing to minimize, if you want crime to reduce, if you want vices to reduce, the next time you see that yahoo boy of your brother's friend, or your, bro your friend's brother, I have a new good news for you. Can you follow me to church tomorrow? It won't take long. One hour, two hours max. Mm, well, okay. I, have, I, I want to watch Nigeria versus Czech, Czech Republic. But that match is for water. Okay, now I can, I can squeeze out two hours. Okay, let us go. And then just because you invited him, you bring him in. The message of the gospel hits hard at him. The Holy Ghost convicts him of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He bows his knees and commits his heart to Jesus. He turns out of this place and says, I want to live a brand new life. I do not know. But what I'm trying to say is that as big, as massive as this crime is, there is the power of the gospel. So that young man, when the gospel touches him, when the gospel reached him, he could come in and say, Pastor, I've been in this church for three years, but you don't know me. Let me tell, let me tell you who I was. Now everything, all, all, all things are passed, the world things have become new. Uh, say, that's what the gospel will do. What the government cannot do, the gospel will do. So a people living in darkness. So you and I are in the midst of a people living in darkness. A people who are in ignorance. So ignorance, like I said to you, ignorance is, ignorance is always connected with crime. And so when the Bible talks about darkness, it's talking about the most sinful of situations. When you get it, you can read the scriptures, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. It says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. It means that we do not belong to ignorance. We do not belong to crime. We do not belong to sin. So Bible equates darkness. Whenever Bible used use, say darkness, it's a, it's a symbol for sinfulness. So when Jesus said, a people living in darkness, what he's talking about, a people who are endemic, who are rooted in sin and unrighteousness, and it's light as shown on them. So we are a people of light. So First Thessalonians 5, 5 says, we are sons of light. And so everywhere you go, you need to recognize that you are a carrier of light, that you are, a, you are an abinger of light, that you are not sons of darkness, that you are sons of light. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, let's look at again at Ephesians 5, 11. You have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness. Did you see that? Why the Bible calls it fruitful deeds of darkness? Because that's sin, that's crime, that's vice right there. That's every evil work. So it's fruitful deeds of darkness. <clears throat> it says, but rather do what? Expose them. Now, what the gospel does, and that's why it's important for us pastors, I don't know who it's leading to be, for you to preach, make sure that you preach the gospel. Don't preach your ideas, preach the gospel. Don't preach your fancy, but preach the gospel. Only the gospel can expose darkness. And many times when you preach the gospel, the true gospel, and you think that it's hard, the people who are in darkness, who, to whom the light is shining, will be receiving and say, wow, this is a better life. That's why that young boy could come and say to me, Pastor, I just want to let you know that I was a bad boy, I was a boy in darkness, but now I'm in the lights. You know what I'm saying? And you hear the story all the time. I'm robbers being changed. Prostitutes being changed. Praise the name of Jesus. The gospel. Now, the gospel can be preached in different ways. I told you one, one, one experience. One of our friends put a movie, a movie together. And um, I think it was called The Triangle or something. It's a story of some incestuous situation, but he put a gospel twist to it. He put the gospel around it and put my name, my phone, no my phone number as one of the contacts. I will 
for many years I would get calls from Libya from prostitutes. I began to get con concerned. As my anointing so getting so corrupted, that is only prostitutes who call me for counseling. So I was almost holding my hand and say, ah, must backslide. But I did not understand because it was strange to me how a prostitute will call you and say, I just watched a movie. I got touched by that movie. And when I looked at the back of the jacket of the movie, it says, if you need further counseling, call this number. And they will call me. I said, but you are a prostitute. What are you doing in there? He said, well, in, in, in Libya, someone took me there. I'm talking about eight years ago. It, it's not now. We don't know this story. That, this thing that Nigeria is talking about, we are bringing them to Nigeria. It has happened before. We didn't even know. Which means that people have already been in Libya who have built houses on prostitution. And these ladies will cry. And, and it tore my theology apart. A prostitute calling me for counseling. What do you tell someone like that? Because you can't tell that person, get out and leave now. Doesn't have a passport. Doesn't have a ticket. Which basically means she may need to believe God for more customers. For, another, for the next one month. This person, for her to be released... She has to pay all the money that the woman from Edo has used to bring out to Libya. She wants to be free. <laughs> she hates sleeping with those men. She feels dirty sleeping with those men. That's why you, don't, you must not open your mouth and criticize and condemn prostitutes. If you are, if you are in their shoes, then you'll do worse. People will do anything for survival. And, um, but I believe God that because of the prayer you know, of the saints and of the continuous preaching of the gospel that provoked that quest in the heart of this process, they must have found the true Christ. The light of God must have shown their heart and they must have left prostitution in the name of Jesus. Is somebody listening to what I'm saying? Again, what I'm trying to say is the solution to crime and vices is the gospel. Whichever way you hear it, I don't know because when I talk, I say several things, I don't know which one of you are picking. What I'm trying to say is the gospel. The light of the gospel. Bible calls in the book of Corinthians, it says the glorious light of the, the light of the glorious gospel will shine your heart. So it's only when the light of the glorious gospel shines in our hearts, praise the name of Jesus, that we get delivered from sin, that we get delivered from unrighteousness. Even the best of all that you see today preaching the gospel, supposedly, you are dirty, you are dead in sin and trespasses. We were, we, were, we were lost in darkness and unrighteousness. And then we had the gospel preached to us. And then the light of the gospel shined in our heart. And then we came forward and obeyed and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And then he saved us from sin. And then he sanctified us by his word. By continually hearing the word of the gospel, more light comes in. I'm sure you know that the more light you introduce to a darkness, the lesser the darkness. Is that correct? I want to say that again. The more light you introduce in the midst of a darkness, the lesser darkness gets, and the, more, the brighter that situation is. That's why light is the answer to darkness. The gospel is the light. Sin, crime, vices are the darkness. And the only answer to the darkness of the world is to shine the light. So, in conclusion, I say to you, if you want to see sin, if you want to see crime busted, if you want to see crime minimized, if you want to see vices minimized, if you want to see less tramadol victims, codeine victims, prostitute victims, yayao victims, we need to design the gospel in such a way that we can administer it, we can serve it on different platforms. 
Amen. Including movies. And that's, that's, one of my, that's one of the things I'm praying for. I've been praying for that for the last eight years. I don't know what I love once we do it. I've read for it. I've studied for it. I've audited some courses for it for film production using movie as a tool of evangelism. If the Lord wants to use me, he will use me. But if the Lord doesn't want to use me, he will use somebody else. But I can guarantee you the next frontier of gospel preaching is movies. And if there's anyone here listening to me, I want you to prepare yourself for it. If you are the person that God wants to use, read for it, study for it, diversify yourself for it, re-engineer yourself for it, and let's get this gospel light shining into the midst of darkness. Because our people in darkness must see the great light. Our people in the shadow of death, to them, the light must shine. You lift your hands for me tonight and just ask, I say, Father, make me part of your change agent. Make me your change agent. Will you ask, Lord, tonight? This man just put the, the, the responsibility at my, foot, at my doorstep. That if crime will reduce, I will have to make it happen. And the way I'll make it happen is by rising up to the challenge of preaching the gospel to my neighbors, to my colleagues at work, to my mates, to my friends, to my siblings, to my brothers and sisters, to pray for them that they believe in the gospel, to pray that the light of the gospel may shine in their heart. So, Father, I take responsibility. Come and talk to God yourself tonight. No, don't blame government. Never. You see, it's an ignorant group of people that blame government for crime rates. The world will blame government because they don't know better. We know better that it takes a people in darkness to see a light. It takes a people in the shadow of death <laughs> to see the great light. Now, that great light is Jesus. And that message of the Jesus is in your mouth and my mouth. That our message of Jesus is the light that the world needs. And if we preach this gospel, the government will come to ask us, help us to, to, think, to, take, to tame crime in the city. Can you please help us to tame, to tame this tramadol business? How, what can we do about it? We have put in place legislation, but it's not working. Please, pastors, can you come help us? The world doesn't know that yet. They're still doing everything. They're still making more votes. They're still increasing the budgets for health services. You and I know that it takes the gospel of Jesus to bring light into darkness. And once that light shines in, darkness can't stand against it. So, Father, tonight we pray for ourselves. We pray for our church. We pray for our families. We pray for ourselves that you will help us to be responsible soul winners. So when we say win souls, I'm not trying to make you a pastor. I'm trying to say, save your own life. <laughs> when I say pray the gospel to your neighbor, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you an apostle and say, well, they want me to be a full-time pastor. What I'm saying, saying to you is if you really want to live long, you don't want Amrabas to waylay you on the road of Abuja and want to split your truth, even though you have done one of the, you have released one of the best gospel albums. <laughs> You've got to preach the gospel so that the darkness can be dispelled and then the light of God. You can imagine how beautiful it would be if we have more Yahoo boys coming to church and becoming pastors. If we have more prostitutes running ministries to prostitutes. If we have more dissidents, armed robbers saying, I'm converted now. Now let's talk about how to make money without, without crime. And that is what we long to see. And that is what every government wants to solve want to see. That's the only way they can win the next election. I hope I pray that this government understands that. Father, we thank, thank you for tonight. And thank you, Father God, for the much truth you continue to bring us all the time. Thank you, Father God Almighty, for we live in the midst of a people who are in darkness. We live in the midst of a people who are living in the shadow of death. But we understand, Father God, that the answer to darkness is light. And we know that we are the sons of light. 
And Father, we add that you will help us, O God Almighty, to expose the fruitful deeds of darkness. Not to judge them, O God Almighty, but to shine our lights that all men may see it and that they might be drawn to our Father so that they can become also sons of light. So, Father, we ask, God Almighty, for our siblings, for our friends, for our, for our colleagues at work, for our classmates who are here to know you, for that prostitute in the neighborhood, for that drunkard, Lord Almighty, down the street, Lord Almighty, for that Yahweh boy, Father God, that does nothing, nothing in the morning, but sleep all day, does, and does runs all night. Father God, for the prostitute, Father God, we pray, God Almighty, let the light of Jesus shine. And Lord Almighty, let's pray that God will grant you an opportunity, one opportunity, to, to share the gospel with them. Either put a truck in their hand. Some, of, some, some people, I put a book in their hand. When it's hard for me to preach to them, I put a truck in their hand, somebody, I give a book. Some of them, I put a Bible in their hand because I know that if I pray and I believe God, one day, so they'll come into the midst of a Christ and God will use that Bible and that book okay, to meet them at the crossroads of their lives. Let's pray and say, Father, Almighty, use me. Use me. Use my resources. Use my opportunity. Create an opportunity for me. There are some people who need to be saved right now, but everything is rosy for them. So they don't, they don't feel they need Jesus. They are going to come into crisis sh shortly, and they will need hope. And that hope is in Christ Jesus alone. And so I want you to pray and say, Father God Almighty, create a situation, a system. Create a, a, a crisis situation that will bring these people into the light. And Lord Almighty, use me to bring light into those people living in darkness. Use me to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus into the people living in the shadow of death. Bring your prayer to a close. And say, thank you, Father, for hearing me always. Thank you, Father, for souls being saved. Thank you for my friends finding Jesus. Thank you for my flatmates finding Jesus. Thank you for my neighbors down the road finding Jesus. Thank you for my boss at work finding Jesus. Thank you for my partners, Lord Almighty, at work finding. Thank you for my classmates finding Jesus. Thank you for that cult boy in my university finding Jesus. Thank you, God Almighty. For that house, housebreaker woman, Father God, finding Jesus. Thank you, God Almighty. For that drug addict finding Jesus. Thank you for that boy hooked on tramadol finding Jesus. Thank God for that girl hooked on codeine finding Jesus. Thank you, Father God Almighty. For the gospel light is shining in the midst of the darkness. And Jesus is ruling in the hearts of men. What a beautiful time. Give you praise. In Jesus' name. We hope you heard the voice of the Lord through the message that you just heard. For further inquiries about other helpful resources and counseling, please visit us at the Capstone Church Without Walls, 360 Murtala Mohammed Way, Yaba, located beside Sky Bank, Yaba Bus Stop, Lagos, Nigeria. Or call 080-2318-2030. You can email helpdesk at thecapstoneonline.com. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you indeed.